Here we go, Blog TV. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Aw, he's so soft. Come here, come here, boy. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, practicing veterinarian Roger Welton, coming to you live, ladies and gentlemen, from the Florida Space Coast. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. We do have a very relevant topic tonight, as it is the holiday season, and with the holiday season comes unique danger for our pets. They can get themselves into quite a bit of trouble, and one of the things that we can see them get themselves into in terms of engaging in behavior that can lead to a certain disease is pancreatitis. And they, often the the owners themselves are complicit in predisposing their pets to this disease. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, pancreatitis is a disease that we do see on a regular basis. It's not that uncommon. I would probably say I get about two or three cases a month. We see it in both dogs and cats. Definitely see it more so in dogs. So, you know, primarily we're focusing on dogs, but feline owners don't necessarily tune out because the bottom line is that there are certainly plenty of exceptions where we do see this disease in kitty cats. We we certainly want to uh, make sure that you're well informed about this as well. Um, Around the holiday season, what we see is a statistical spike in pancreatitis in terms of the number of cases we see in a given period of time. And there is a good reason for that, and I will get into that very in-depthly and tell you all about why we see more pancreatitis during the holidays. And not only will we talk about the disease, the mechanism of it, why we see more of it during the holidays, we're also going to tell you how to prevent it, how to spare your pet the pain and agony of that disease, as well as the treatment and expense necessary to overcome the disease. It is quite treatable, but make no mistake, this is a potentially lethal disease. Before we continue, however, let me just tell you our call-in number. This is a live call-in show. Since we've gone live, this is now our third live episode. I still have yet to get our first call, but I will tell you that back in the day when we were going live before we went to the pre-recorded format, we were getting plenty of calls. So please begin calling again. The number is 1-877-878-1435. It is a toll-free number. And again, I'll repeat that, 1-877-878-1435. But of course, we have our good old way, other way to, to chat with us for those who are a little bit more on the shy side. We take questions or comments by email. And we have a really nice question tonight that was sent in by email. The email address, by the way, is comments at web-dvm.net. Again, that's comments at web-dvm.net. So you can certainly submit a question or comment to be addressed live on the air through that email address, but you can also post on our Facebook page, and you can also post directly at the blog, webdvm.blogspot.com. And we look at all of those places to look for comments and questions to address on the show. Tonight, we have one and only... It was sent in by Brittany from Clearwater, Clearwater, Florida, that is, and here is her question. Dear Dr. Roger, I'm a big fan of your show, with my only regret being that I just recently found it. Isn't that sweet? I recently adopted a cat, and I have some vaccine concerns. 
I have actually worked for a veterinarian, and he does not use the Muriel adjuvant-free vaccine line because he cites studies that do not prove a link between vaccine adjuvants and tumor formations in cats. My vet states that it is a rare genetic mutation that leads to tumor formation and any injection or from any injection period, even if it were just saline. So there's no benefit in charging clients more money for non-adjuvanted vaccines when realistically these cats are at risk of developing tumors no matter what you use. I researched your clinic and found your very informative vaccine page and see that you'd use no adjuvant vaccines for cats. So before vaccinating my own cats, I would like to know your thoughts on my vet's stance versus yours. Thanks a bunch. Sincerely, Brittany. Thank you, Brittany, for this great question. So let's talk about this for a moment because this is very important. The What she's referring to, there's a company, one of the veterinary pharmaceuticals, um, had sort of a novel approach to feline vaccines. They do not include a molecule known as an adjuvant. And what an adjuvant is, it's a molecule or compound, really, that extends the life of a vaccine in terms of the time it's of protection. So, for example, we have the canine three-year rabies been out for or several companies make the canine rabies, the three-year form. It's accepted by most states, as far as I know. It's certainly accepted in the state of Florida. We tend to be very anal about rabies. So it's a very effective vaccine. One of the things that makes it so effective for three years is the fact that there's an adjuvant in it. The adjuvant enhances the antigenicity of it, that is the immune system response. And as a result, we get three years of protection. Well, there is a type of tumor formation we could see in cats called a fibrosarcoma, and we'll see them at injection sites. Um, namely, vaccines were the big culprit as far as early research indicated. And those tumors are rare, and I just want to be clear with everybody, including Brittany here, that fibrosarcoma formation, vaccine-induced or injection-induced, potentially, we'll get into that in just a moment, uh, they're quite rare. We're talking about a one in, like, 60 or 70,000 occurrence in terms of, you know, not per vaccine, that's per cat that gets vaccine start its lifetime. It's rare. It's not common. However, it does happen. So why tempt fate? Well, the adjuvants in, in vaccines were the first sort of loose link that was applied to the formation of these tumors receive, in cats that receive vaccines. So Muriel took this premise and, and took this, this research and basically decided, you know what? We're going to take the adjuvant out of the equation for cats, and we're going to create a vaccine line that does not have adjuvants. And since 2004, I've been using those vaccines. Now, as far as those vaccines go, they they do cost a little bit more. Not not terribly more, but they cost a little bit more. Most most feline owners are kind of happy to pay it, though, because of the science behind it in that you're taking away the adjuvant and supposedly, supposedly, I'll get to that in a sec as well, Supposedly, you are decreasing the formation of these tumors, or, or uh, as as some some I've heard out of the company Muriel saying, you're actually taking it out of the equation altogether. Um, the, one of the drawbacks, aside from cost, is that these vaccines don't last as long. So, for example, there's no three-year rabies; it's a one-year rabies for cats. Uh, so, so there there are some downsides, I guess. You're going to pay a little bit more. You're going to have to do the rabies vaccine every year. But the upside is that statistically supposedly there's going to be a lower likelihood of your cat developing a feline fibrosarcoma, which is, by the way, a deadly tumor. They're very hard to remove. And because they're hard to remove, 
by the time you diagnose them, it's off. It's often too late, and they grow so fast. But uh, so so we we find ourselves rarely having success in resecting these tumors because it's just too late by the time you get them. So tragic circumstances. I I really don't like to see it. Now back to Brittany's question. This is a very good question. There is a number of studies out there that say that these cats have genetic mutations uh, or a genetic specific genetic mutation that makes them susceptible to tumor formation by injection from anything, whether it's she mentioned sterile saline or water or even an antibiotic injection that any injection, basically anything that induces inflammation to the skin on a chronic basis or semi-chronic basis has the potential to cause a tumor. And there is some truth behind this. I can't, I can't uh, not acknowledge that there, there certainly is some truth behind it. However, even though the research and the data is a bit iffy on this whole topic, I'm going by anecdotal results. So I was a veterinarian for three years prior to adopting the Muriel vaccine line. And as a result, I saw a number of, not only was I giving other adjuvanted feline vaccines for three years, I also was seeing cats that had been receiving these vaccines for years. And what I found was, what I have found is that the incidence of these tumors, it's almost become non-existent from a practice perspective. So yes, the data is one thing, but I have to also go by my own experience. So these studies have come out, and yes, I could pay less for the, the other vaccines based on the studies. And and certainly veterinarians that, you know, kind of accept the side of the studies where they're not, they're just not believing that taking away the adjuvant and using these more expensive vaccines is going to be anything that's going to prevent tumors, I can certainly understand that. We're looking at hard data. Big numbers is what we're trying to do in science when we're trying to draw any conclusions. And those big, big numbers, you know, on a practice-by-practice, doctor-by-doctor basis just aren't necessarily there. But I'm talking about eight years now I've been using these vaccines. That's a nice chunk of time. That's a lot of cats. Oh, man, I, I, the incidence of these tumors, i got to say, has become virtually non-existent. And the ones that I have seen are cats that have come from come over from other clinics that were receiving these vaccines. So direct question, Brittany, your vet has a lot of merit in what he's saying. I opt to go with the Muriel vaccines because I have eight years of my own data behind it. And I believe that the adjuvants do are more implicated in the formation of these tumors. So I opt for the vaccines that don't have the adjuvants. And that's my answer. I hope that helps. It's not definitive. Um, it's certainly a, a murky topic and there's going to be more debate on it and we certainly need more data streaming in. So, uh, but not a plug for Muriel necessarily because, you know, that's my choice. It's my individual choice. Thank you for your question. That was an excellent question. I'm so pleased uh, to, to get such a pithy question like that. Appreciate it, Brittany. So let's get to our topic tonight, pancreatitis. Yeesh, pancreatitis. And real quick before I jump into that, again, live broadcast, one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. Feel free to give me a call. I would love to hear your thoughts live on the air. So pancreatitis, let's talk about what this disease is. The pancreas is an organ that provides two main functions for the canine and feline body. And I believe, even though it's not my expertise, same functions for people. And that is they, uh, the pancreas secretes digestive enzymes to aid in the digestion process. These enzymes get secreted into the upper small intestine and as the food is coming into there that's been broken down by the stomach and 
worked on by the acids and the muscular action of the stomach. Protein chains and fats need to be broken down and emulsified, and the pancreas is a big player in that, secreting these digestive enzymes. Secondly, though, it also is a very important organ in blood sugar metabolism, so it provides the hormone insulin. Insulin is a very, very integral component of blood sugar metabolism. So it's a very important organ. It's not something that uh, we we can live without, really. The pancreas is extremely important. So what pancreatitis means in terms is pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas. And what causes it is the fact that digestive enzymes, the, the pancreas is, is loaded with these enzymes, and under the normal in the normal patient, under normal circumstances, they're not activated when they're in the pancreas. As they pass from the pancreas into the upper small intestine, they become activated. And they're within the intestine and protected, well, sequestered from the rest of the body from their digestive action. Because think about it, they're digesting proteins, they're digesting fats. Well, guess what? A lot of tissues are comprised of proteins and fats. So it's very important they're in an enclosed area, such as the intestine, where they're protected. So as a result, in, in these patients that get pancreatitis, the bottom line is that these digestive enzymes get activated in it while still inside the pancreas and begin digesting the pancreas itself. It is a tissue. Tissues are made up of proteins and fats. There's fats within the cell membranes that make up the tissues. So very, very serious problem. So what happens to these patients is that they become severely, severely ill. They start vomiting. Their pancreas becomes severely painful, so they're real painful in the belly. They become inappetent, depressed, often spike big fevers. These patients are susceptible to, to formation of blood clots all over, uh, or in their blood vessels all over uh, where blood supply feeds organs. And that's a problem. They're susceptible to arrhythmias of the heart because of the severe inflammatory process going on. This is a very serious disease, folks. So, of course, there's genetic factors that go into whether or not a patient may or may not get pancreatitis, but there's the the big thing is also dietary factors. So, why do we see spikes of this during the holiday? Well, again, think about one of the main processes of the pancreas is, is to emulsify fats. So, there's fat digesting enzymes, specifically an enzyme called lipase that's going to break down and emulsify fats. And when the pet is fed a rich fatty meal of some kind, such as a, a piece of that delicious ham, uh, as far as that uh, greasy turkey leg that you know the dog may get a piece of, or even cats, there are some gluttonous cats that will get fed from the table, and they will absolutely partake in eating some of that stuff. So cats are not immune to this, uh, but more commonly. Genetically, the genetic predisposition to this disease is is going to be obese obese pets. So if they're obese, they're they're a little bit more predisposed to it to begin with. But from a genetic standpoint, we tend to see little terriers, little dogs, Maltese, Yorkies, uh, Jack Russell terriers. You know, name your little dog. We see them. They're probably the most among the most common breeds that we see this in. But we can see it in big dogs, especially if they are very frequently, commonly and overly fed these kinds of items. So we're getting towards Thanksgiving. 
We've just gotten past Halloween. Of course, we got candy with lots of fat in it, such as, you know, the, the chocolatey items and things like that. And so as we're kind of navigating through the, ho- the the holidays, we're also getting treats in the mail. And I know at my clinic, we're getting treats from our clients and cakes and pastries and all kinds of delicious stuff. And as a result, our pets can either get into these things by accident or we look at those beady, cute little eyes and we just can't say no. So we start feeding them these things. And next thing you know, lo and behold, the patient is really, really sick. Just going to take a break for a second because as as you folks know, um, I am both live video streaming and I'm podcasting right now. And there is actually a chat going on at my live video feed. And she's asking, am I following the main chat here on blog TV, the answer, Hawkeye, New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, by the way. Um, the answer to that is I'm glancing at it periodically. So if you have a question you'd like to ask or a comment to make, anything to contribute to the show, I certainly will read your question uh, so my podcast listeners can um, can can participate in that. And uh, I would be happy to answer your question as well, as well as I can. My friends over at Blog TV are providing our live streaming for the video portion of the show. Just a quick break there. So Hawkeye, New Jersey, I will be glancing back periodically uh, at the the live chat going on. So anyway, back to the topic, pancreatitis. So let's say your pet has been fed, fed by your grandma. So always grandma for some reason that just thinks that pet, pets need to be stuff the way they stuff us because it's a healthy thing to be fat. <laughs> it's always grandma or grandpa, but not always. You know, it could be an aunt or a child sitting at a high chair that's dropping things for the cat or dog to eat because they think it's hilarious and fun. Whatever the case, your pet starts violently vomiting repeatedly over time, seems painful in the belly, standing hot, hot like with a hunched posture. The um, There's a good chance they could have pancreatitis. Don't take that lightly. Get them to the vet. Painful belly, constant vomiting, severe depression. These are our signs. So how do we treat this? Well, dog comes in, cat comes in, they've been vomiting violently, they have a painful tummy. Well, I'm going to run some blood work. I'm going to take some x-rays. The reason I'm going to take some x-rays, I'm not going to see the pancreas on an x-ray, but you can see sometimes changes right near the upper small intestine, a region known as the duodenum. And it can take on this ground glass sort of homogenous appearance that we that would give us some idea that there could be pancreatitis. In severe cases of pancreatitis, sometimes we'll see free fluid in the abdomen. Those are particularly bad cases that would show up on an x-ray. So we're taking x-rays to just help us diagnose. The main diagnosis is through clinical signs, history, and blood work. We see pancreas enzymes off the chart in the blood work. So... Once we achieve that diagnosis, the the main thrust of treatment is we treat them with antibiotics intravenously. We give them fluids intravenously. This supports the patient. It prevents secondary infection in the upper portion of the gut. Lots of times we will get a secondary proliferation of bacteria because of pancreatitis. So it's important to support them with antibiotics. They're often in a great deal of pain. Pain is a big part of this disease. If you ever talk to a person that's ever had pancreatitis, it hurts. It hurts a great deal uh, to a degree that, you know, because our dogs and cats go out of their way to 
hide signs of pain, we often don't even realize or comprehend how painful they really are. So in that regard, pain management is a big part of, of treatment because, yes, is it the nice thing to do? Do we want, are we humane and we want to limit their pain? Of course, but it's also good medicine. That degree of pain stresses the immune system. It can contribute to arrhythmias. It's bad medicine to leave them painful. So pain management is very important. In a lot of cases, narcotic pain management. Most importantly, though, that other stuff is supportive care. Most importantly, what we're what we're really thrusting to do is give them nothing but intravenous nutrition, intravenous fluids, hydration, whatnot, nothing by mouth. So everything is IV. The antibiotics are IV because we want to fast that patient. We need to rest that pancreas, calm down those digestive enzymes. Uh, resting the pancreas is key. Now, here's where you run into kind of a difficult thing. Now, with dogs, you can fast them two or three days. They're just going to lose a little bit of weight. They can maybe start to get hungry. You're you're very safe in fasting, and the dog's not going to run into any health problems from fasting. However, cats, cats you can't fast very long. I'm generally only fasting a cat for a day. Um, when, even in these cases where we, you know, it's incumbent for us to to rest the pancreas by fasting. And the reason is because when a cat stops eating, it doesn't just lose weight. It doesn't just feel hungry. When a cat is not fed and has a negative energy balance, they can actually get a secondary complication known as fatty liver syndrome. Fatty liver syndrome is just an added thing that makes the cat sick that we don't want to create. So we walk this fine line with cats where we got to fast them long enough, but we can't start feeding them too soon. And when we do start feeding them again, it has to be a pancreas-friendly diet, meaning that it's limited protein limited fat. So very serious disease. As I stated, we indeed see big spikes of this during the um, during the holiday season because all of that food is out and about. It's ever present. You're getting hams as a Christmas bonus, some of you, or a holiday bonus or whatever your bosses call it. And so this stuff is just all around. Um, and of course, the relatives come over. The pets can get into the stuff accidentally. Everybody, I'm sure, has seen the movie Christmas Vacation, which is hilarious. But you got Snot, Uncle Ed's dog, who gets into the garbage and he's yakking up a bone under the table. Well, that's not, I mean, it's good comedy. It's pretty funny. But that's real life, folks. Dogs will get into the garbage. And for those of us with extra obnoxious, uncouth cats, they get into the garbage too. I have two. I have three cats, actually one of which acts like a normal cat, but I have two that are gluttonous creatures and will get into the garbage and eat these things. So be careful with your garbages. One of the biggest, biggest sources of GI problems in pets. Not only can they get pancreatitis from eating things that are rich and fatty out of the garbage, well, they also can get things jammed in their gut. So, you know, bone shards and foreign objects that might be in the garbage that are coated with food that just seem like a yummy thing to eat, even though it's like an empty can or something like that. These things are ingested all the time. So very good reason. Good garbage patrol. Warn your relatives that if they're caught feeding the pets, they will leave. They will be asked to leave the home or or flogged or something. Warn them, warn them, warn them. Be very vigilant with children in high chairs or children that want to show that show their parents so they can get dessert, that they've eaten all their food. So they'll give it all under the table to to the dog. Be very careful. What I do in my house, I just put the dogs away during mealtime. I'm not taking a chance with my two- and four-year-old children. I'm not taking a chance with anybody feeding my dogs. 
Uh, I'm not – even my cats, by the way, especially the two gluttonous creatures who are so obnoxious, by the way, that they'll actually get up, jump up on the table and stick their faces right in your food if you're not looking. It's actually it's actually pretty pretty awful. So i uh, got a pretty active chat going on here on the blog TV. And let's see, Bionic2018 just wrote, good to know I have a dog. <laughs> so uh, folks at Blog TV, I am checking that periodically, and thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, so anyway, that's pancreatitis in a, nuts- in a nutshell, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, fa- fairly fairly short but contrite topic. Having the r- Being armed with the right information uh, could really be a life-saving thing. So that's what we try to do here is we are trying to arm you with information regarding these ever so common but ever so potentially deadly or dangerous things that could happen to your pets. That said, everybody, that is our episode for this evening. I don't see anybody on the queue with calls. We don't have any more email questions this evening to address. So, ladies and gentlemen, I will talk to you next week. Right now we're doing episodes every Thursday evening. And uh, stop being shy. Let's give me some calls. Live calls are, are a lot of fun. Take care. Have a lovely evening. And thank you, as always, ladies and gentlemen, for caring about what I have to say. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.